This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to the channel and welcome back to another edition of the Spurs Chat Podcast. In this edition, of course, we'll be talking about everything Tottenham Hotspur and the January transfer window. The January window now opens in just over 26 days time, not long at all. We are currently live on YouTube, on Facebook and Twitch. Uh, Please do get involved. Uh, Give us your thoughts on the season so far and what you would like to see Tottenham Hotspur do in the upcoming January transfer window. I'm absolutely delighted to bring back returning guest uh, Josh Hughes, uh, of course, broadcast journalist and sport social media executive with Mouse Sport. Josh, it's been too long. How are you? Yeah, it has been a while. No, doing really well. Um, even better having gone toe to toe with the champions of Europe, the treble winners um, with that team as well. It's just, I don't know, even though it's been a bit of a rocky patch and we we're all expecting a blip at some point. I think we're all just loving the journey, aren't we? Yeah. It's such a different feeling, Josh. Uh, It's so so great as well that so many people recently, I asked them how they are, and you just cannot wait to talk about the football and Ange Postacoglu, which is uh, that real difference, especially to last season under multiple different managers. Um, Josh, let's talk a little bit about the season so far, because, of course, Spurs are sat in fifth spot. Uh, We were occupying that top spot for some time. You know, after 10 games, we were unbeaten. Uh, We've now played 14. We've won eight. We've drawn three. We've lost three. We've got 27 points. It's been a good start to the season. We've, of course, had lots of injury problems. Um, That Chelsea game was a bit of a killer for us. Of course, uh, Romero suspended for three games. Uh, But a great point at the weekend against Manchester City. And I know we were speaking off air. Uh, before we got started about the City game on Sunday, you know, going toe-to-toe 
with the Premier League champions, with the champions of Europe, with half the team missing, the likes of James Madison, Van der Ven missing from this Tottenham Hotspur team, and we still got a point, and possibly in that second half, we could have won it. But what are your thoughts overall of the season so far? Well, we'll start with City. I mean, I I'd made a, an engagement post for Mail Sport where I was looking at actually the Tottenham managers that have beaten Pep Guardiola since he's taken over at City in 2016. Five managers so far have beaten him. And I, the question was, is Postacoglu going to be um, the sixth? And actually, in, in all honesty, first half felt like it could be 10-1. Second half felt like we could win the game. And, uh, yeah. you know, through all the adversity, I mean, Newcastle have had terrible injuries. Man United have had terrible injuries this season. I don't think a team has actually been as affected by injuries as us. Um, yeah. In terms of the number of important first team, you know, starters that are out. Um, you remember um, back to the start of the season, you you asked me, where do I think we'll finish this season? I don't think any of us expected us to be at the top of the table um, and having the first 10 games that we had. Um, and a lot of people, I think probably in truth, thought that we would be a lot lower down the table. I said fifth. And I'm pleased that we're there at the minute because, you know, I said I would have taken fifth. I think most of us would have just taken and getting back into Europe at the start of the season. But um, I don't know. To me, it just feels like the brakes are off. There's no real expectation of we've got to do this. We've got to do that. The players are just going out, doing their thing. They're training hard. And Postacoglu's got us playing some incredible football, the best football I've seen in, in many years. You know, the football that people associate with Tottenham Hotspur, it's exactly what fans crave. It's that free-flowing attacking football that gets you off your seat. And to bring in a player like James Madison, who we've always had that tricky creative player, whether it be Ericsson or Van der Vaart, you know, we've always had that type of player. And, and, and even before my time as well, he's injured now, but then you've got Giovanni Lo Celso coming in. Uh, a player that, you know, I've always thought he's got the quality. He just needs the right backing, the right players around him and really a bit of love from the fans and a bit of love from the manager, really. Um, and we're in a position where actually the players, a lot of the players that we thought there's no way we can count on these guys have actually stepped up when it counts. Um, and I think that more than anything, you know, I, I said this to your fair, more than the attacking football, more than the results, it's actually just the fact that I'm personally, at least, I'm counting down the days to every single game now. And I'm struggling to sleep before games because I'm so excited. It's like being a kid again. And that is what we're going through right now. And I know, of course, you can say kind of cynically we've been here before. And I know we'll go on to the importance of January. But, I mean, as far as the start to the season has gone, we're almost halfway through now. I don't think any of us can have any complaints about where we are. And actually, really, a couple of moments of madness and a little bit of luck. You know, we could very much still be top of the table right now. So it swings and roundabouts, really. But I'm, I'm delighted. Josh, are you surprised on what Postacoglu has done in this short amount of time? Because... Yeah, all of us said, you come on this channel in the summer and we were talking about the transfer window. We were talking about players coming in, possible players coming in, possible players going out the door. Of course, uh, you know, the recruitment was really, really good in the summer. And let's hope that the recruitment continues to be this good in all future windows for Postacoglu. But are you surprised that things have 
um, I don't know whether clicked is the right word because it hasn't really clicked yet. And, and, and that's why I feel so excited because that I know that there is so much more to come. But are you surprised on, you know, you're saying about the style of football. Are you surprised that we've seen as, as, as good a, a, a good of performances that, that we've seen so far under Postacoglu in this short time? Um, yes and no. Uh, I'm surprised that it's been the start to the season that we've had. And I'm surprised that how amazing the first 10 games were. Um, because, you know, for me, I thought if it's going to click with Postacoglu or if we're going to start, you know, seeing this style, I was expecting us to still play largely Conte ball until about November time. And I was expecting it to really, you know, take some time to bed in. But as we saw in pre-season, I know you were there. The style of football was just totally different from, from the first whistle against West Ham. And then for that to carry on, I think there's probably a combination of things. I think there's players that were at the club that were suited to an attacking style of football that are able to express themselves. Again, players have obviously been brought in who play that type of, of football anyway. But I think fundamentally, the biggest change has actually been the characters he's brought in. And yeah. I was surprised by that. But then now I fully get it. Once I've heard Postacoglu talk about how important the character is. And he I know he was comparing, you know, top players to the very, very top players. And he was saying it's actually that huge jump is all the mentality. And, you know, I think fundamentally he's got a group of players that are buying into what he's doing. He's obviously inspired them. It's not just him. It's Millie Edinak. It's Ryan Mason behind the scenes. It's the team that he's got around him. Uh, it just seems like the whole buzz about the place, they all can see where we're going with this. And I think us as a fan base can see where we're going with this because I think we've had a few years of kind of no real identity. Um, but I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone really expected it to be as good as it has been. I, I think, you know, as much as I predicted us to finish six, uh, fifth this season, I would have thought, you know, sort of eighth place, ninth place, sort of in still in contention for a European spot, you know, points wise would be... Um, would be where we are. And like you say, I think you've summed it up perfectly in that I don't think we've got out of third gear this season. Yeah. I think we've we've actually played some of the best football I've I've seen in years. I mean, the first kind of half an hour against Aston Villa, the first 15 minutes against Chelsea is football, probably the best football I've ever seen Tottenham play in my lifetime, let alone, you know, Pochettino and all of that. I mean, it's crazy. It's actually quite scary. And, and and again, this is why January is so important, because we can see what he's doing here. Let's back him now. Let's, you know, let's give him the players he wants. And, and it, as you said with City, that team, to put a result together there. I mean, imagine having 15, 16 players that are good enough to start and of the quality we want that we can pick on. And then we've still got some of those other players who can still fill in if things get really rough. What do you think has really changed at the football club since Postacoglu has come in, though, Josh? Because when you think about it, you know, the first three months of the Premier League campaign, you know, manager of the month in August, September and October, uh, Spurs lose a couple of games and suddenly ex-players, uh, pundits, presenters and, and so forth. Then they start saying Postacoglu can't continue to play this style of football. He cannot get away with this in the Premier League. You might have you know, being able to get away with it in other leagues, you know, Celtic, you know, Scottish League, but you can't do this in the Premier League. 
what would you say to the the, the doubters? Because I've even seen a, a few Spurs fans doubting the way that we have been playing in these games. What what would you say to them? Well, I think it's all a little bit reactionary, to be honest, because if I was to look back at my WhatsApp messages in the first half against Man City, uh, I think um, I'd be hung out to dry. Um, I think what is happening is people are reacting uh, quite often on a game-by-game basis on games that may, may be on the TV. I mean, we have seen every game this season. We've seen how Tottenham have played in the games that aren't on TV. We've seen every minute. So we know, obviously, in a way that some of these pundits, I don't think, know, because I, I, the likes of Paul Merson, for example, who loves to throw daggers at Spurs. I don't believe for one second he's watched every minute. Um, but it's actually the ones that have watched him throughout this season. The likes of, for example, male sports Chris Sutton, who's obviously followed him very closely at Celtic. And yeah. you know, the same thing with Spurs this season, who has been defending him. I think that it's right, and I understand, and I completely get a bit of scepticism. You know, it's it's a bit it, it's natural. I mean, this is completely different to any style of football I've seen, and even the likes of Pep Guardiola and you know Jurgen Klopp. This is a different brand of attacking football. It's almost a, it, it's kamikaze at times. It's exciting. It's scary all at once. Um, I think let the results do the talking. Okay, you can lose a few games. But Manchester City haven't won a Premier League match in a little while, it seems. Um, and, you know, it swings and roundabouts. You can have those moments through a season. I think judge him at the end of the season, if he's had the players that he needs. Uh, Tottenham will be playing Champions League football next season if he gets the players he needs. I have no doubts about that. So, you know, I, I just think that people are, uh, are jumping on the bandwagon. They get a bit of a reactionary or whatever it is. People like to jump on it when things go bad. They do it with every football club. When things are good, it's the same thing. I, I don't really listen to a lot of it. I just laugh, to be honest, because ultimately what matters is the players are buying into it. Us as fans are buying into it. We're paying for our tickets and we're enjoying what we're getting out of it. And I think those that certainly I was starting to not fall out of love with the club, but it was it was a rocky patch, I think, for all of us, wasn't it, last season? To feel as in love with the club as we did when we first were introduced to the club. I think that's the most important thing right now. And I think that, um, I don't know, I, I just think pundits need to chill out a little bit because, you know, ultimately, Postacoglu is coming in. He knows what he's doing. He's working hard with the players. The players are bought into it, as I say. And... More than anything, he's telling us as fans, just believe. Believe what you want to believe. Have the ambitions you want to have, and it's our job to try and match it. It's a, it's a complete mindset change. It's funny, Josh, isn't it? Because even at half-time against Manchester City, he said to the players, just go out and play our football. And, of course, it was an incredible second half where, of course, we got that point against City. Um, that Spursy guy writes on screen now, when we played Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea and Manchester City, each one was a thriller. Now, when I think about all the games that we've played so far this season, probably the Wolves game, and I think uh, Ange actually alluded to this in a press conference the other day, uh, was, the, was the, the game where we didn't play that well, although we took the lead in the game. Um, is that a fair assessment? Because Spurs have performed in each of the Premier League games, um, and we have seen a different style of football. And like you said, the mood has been very different, particularly at home. 
You know, it's been like a party atmosphere, you know, especially after those 10 games, you know, remaining unbeaten. Uh, the away games have uh, have been very good as well. You know, the away fans are, are absolutely brilliant. Don't stop singing, really getting behind Ange Postacoglu. And for me, it just seems like Ange has been here for years. Yeah, I think what we've been crying out for is someone that just gets us. Pochettino got us. He understood what it meant to be at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. He got us as a fan base. He bought into that. It took him a season probably to really get into that. And then it was it was there on in. I, I can't remember actually in my lifetime a manager coming in. Probably the, the closest comparison to a manager that just got it straight away is probably actually Martin Yol. Um, he's come in and he, he understands. He's seen where we've been. He understands. He's followed it from afar. Because he's yeah. been in other leagues, he's been able to watch the Premier League. He's been able to see it from an outside perspective. He's seen how close we've come and he gets it. But everywhere he's been, he's been expected to do terribly. Everyone has said, you're going to do rubbish. Everyone has said, you can't do it. Everyone said, you can't play a brand of football. You can't achieve what you're going to achieve. And look what he does. This is not a young manager. And this is a crazy thing, right? Is the amount of conversations I've had with people where they think they're amazed when they realise that Postacoglu is... 57, 58, I think now. And he's been managing for over 20 years. Everyone thinks he's like in his 40s or something, and he's quite new to this. He's he's actually yeah. one of the most experienced managers in the in the Premier League in terms of actual years of experience. So this is a guy that has a, an unbelievable track record. And you know, you say about the away fans, I mean, why wouldn't they be brilliant? I mean, they've always been brilliant, even when things got tough, they've always been brilliant, our away fans. Um, but in answer to kind of, you know, you're talking about the thrillers there. Would you rather lose a game 1-0, being really conservative and trying not to lose? Or would you rather lose a game 4-3, trying to win the game? And I think it's very clear, as far as I'm concerned, I'd rather lose 4-3, trying. But the biggest change, fundamentally, is the fact that we have always had a good squad. We've always had very good players. This is a manager that has said, no, I back your ability. You're going to go and you're going to win the game. I believe in you. And I think that's the key thing. Conte set us up to not lose. Postacoglu set us up to win because he sees the quality in the squad. And I know Sonny was terrible against Aston Villa for me, but for the majority of this season, he's been at a level that's far more like his old self. So, you know, it just shows the turnaround. I think more than anything, it's a manager that backs the players. And us as fans are going to back our players when the manager's backing the players. If you've got a manager like Conte, who quite clearly didn't back the players, how are you supposed to back the manager and the players as well? It really is that simple for me. And, you know, fundamentally, everyone's been given a chance this season. Even the likes of Eric Dyer, who was frozen out, has been given a chance to play this season. And even you can say because of injuries or whatnot, but everyone is being given an opportunity here. And, uh, do you know what? Against City, the actual number one thing that made me happy more than anything else, more than the result, was actually seeing Jamie Donnelly get a few minutes because we've been yeah. crying out for ages about that. Um, yeah. It just shows where, where we're going. It shows where we're going. It's a great place to be in. Josh, uh, let's go back to that Chelsea game. Of course, we lost 4-1 in the end at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. What was remarkable and incredible after that match is that everyone stayed behind clapping Postacoglu and the players off for the effort that they showed in that game. Can you remember the last time Spurs had such a defeat at home and was cheered off? It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life because I 
in any other circumstance would be absolutely fuming. And I was fuming yeah. after Villa. I was fuming after Wolves. But Chelsea, it was just, I've never seen anything like it. And, and I, I, you know, I don't want to dwell on that high line because it's been spoken about to death everywhere, really. But to just have a go and to be honest, I mean, it was it was really fractions that cost the game. If yeah. someone makes it 2-0 because his toenail isn't offside and they've had to use a reverse angle to find it, that's game over. I think it's we're looking at four, fives and sixes against them. They were that shell-shocked at the start. Uh, and, and there was another moment that people don't talk about. I mean, I was directly behind it because I sit um, in the Paxton. Is Kulosevsky's had his shirt almost pulled off of him in the box, but because he stayed on his feet to try and recycle the ball... You know, we've ended up losing it. Adogi makes that challenge, and I think the game kind of changed there. But it's those tiny little moments. Dyer, if that if that was onside, I mean, it's two all. Tottenham yeah. could have probably plucked out a draw there when no one was expecting it. It's it was crazy. I mean, we were inevitably going to lose the game when we went down tonight. I think that was it was always going to happen. Um, but at least we did things differently, and I think that what Postecoglou is showing is that. There are kind of schools of thought of how football should be played. Everyone thinks, you know, these are the systems you play. These are the ways you have to play. Uh, and Postacoglu has shown almost like a, a completely different way of approaching football completely. Uh, you know, we've all got the Klopp style, the Guardiola style, and then you've got your kind of Roy Hodgson type, Tony Pulis type style of football, Conte type football. And he's like got a third way of doing things. And... He doesn't really care about what the media say. He doesn't really care about what anyone else thinks other than the fans. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, long may it continue. Um, you know, it, it may end up costing us some games, but just taking that risk is also the type of thing that's seen us beat Liverpool at home with the last kick of the game, pretty much. And I know I don't want to get into the Diaz thing, but, you know, Fundamentally, I think we actually deserved something out of the game because we fought until the end. Um, yeah, I think people are always going to try and jump at any moment to say, oh, Spurs, he's back, all of this stuff. But I think we've all seen the mentality change. Let's just see how it goes and, you know, give him what he needs. Josh, we mentioned that um, I'm excited about, you know, I, I feel like there's so much more to come. Now, we've had a number of disallowed goals because of offside in the Premier League so far this season, in particular Hunmin Son in the Aston Villa game, scoring three and all of them being uh, disallowed. And as you mentioned, Eric Dyer's one against Chelsea. Um, is it fair to say that um, we really do need to improve in that final third? Because if you would have said to me at the start of the season, before a ball was kicked, I would have said that our attacking force would have been uh, probably the most strongest uh, department um, on, on the pitch. But when that gets clicking, you know, Dian Kulisewski, although he's played well this season, hasn't registered an assist in the Premier League so far. Uh, Hunmin Son probably could have scored more. Of course, Brennan Johnson's come in. Uh, Richarlison's had injury problems um, as well. Um, what have you made of the final third? And, and do you think that when that gets clicking, it could be one of the, the best attacking forces in the Premier League, despite Harry Kane leaving in the summer? I think it's already still one of the better attacking forces in the league. Um, but I think it's fundamental. You sell the best striker in the world, in my opinion, like out and out, you know, goal scoring centre forward in Harry Kane. You're always going to have a drop off. And we failed to we failed to replace him. We failed to replace him. We've got to sign a striker. We've got to sign a striker. 
Domley, there's potential, although he's playing more as a 10 at the minute. You've got Valise, who is very kind of unproven at the minute. I'm glad that he's getting minutes for the under-23s. And, you know, hopefully, that, I mean, there's going to be a time when, when Son goes to the Asia Cup, he's going to get his chance. So, look, um, Kulusevski, yeah, I think he's not been as good as he has been. But I think that, like you say, it's just not quite clicked yet. I think Madison's key to that. And I think now we're seeing that Lacelso can play that role as well. Um, I think it's kind of individual moments from individual players that's kind of costing us a little a little bit. Uh, the only thing that I think is kind of inexcusable really is is Son's offsides because the guy is 31 years old. He's played the game is, long enough. Is it is it though, Josh, or is it that the the fact that the the, the, the midfielders in particular are not playing the balls quick enough because, you know, take the instance that um, Hoybier took the extra touch. Had he have played that first time, some would have been onside. Had he played it first time, he also might have miskicked it. So it's like one of those things that it's kind of, I get that completely. But I think that fundamentally, if you're going to play as a striker, and I don't blame Son entirely because I, I don't want to knock him. I think he's a phenomenal player. He's been phenomenal this season. But just the sheer number of offside goals where we're talking literally toenails. I think you've got to be asking questions of why this keeps happening. And I know Aston Villa's offside stats, I know all of these things. But for me, if Son's going to play this striker role, the way that we're playing and the way that he's playing that role, getting in behind... That's the number one thing, because no one can doubt his goal scoring ability. No one can doubt his ability to pick out a pass across a shot. But ultimately, that's the one thing. If he if he can sort that one thing out, and I think he really should have already at the age of 31. But if he's, you know, if he can sort that out under Ange, because I'll give, you know, there, there's a tactical element to it as well. And I know that they'll be working on that in training, you know. He, he's going to score 25 goals this season, you know, and he's going to be scoring the same level of goals that he scored when he won the Golden Boot. And he's going to be probably mirroring the similar numbers to Harry Kane. Still think we need a striker um, because as much as Son, I like in that role. I it Just to me, I still, maybe it's a me thing. I, I can't kind of gauge whether he is a striker or a winger yet. But the only other the only other thing that I would say is Brennan Johnson, big fan of him. He had a bit of a obviously difficult start because he got injured so quickly. But we're starting to see what he can do uh, and he can hurt teams and he can hurt teams in key moments. I think he needs a bit more time, but he's only going to get better. So I think, yeah, as you said, I think once things click, it's going to be one of the best attacking forces in the league. I think it already probably is. Just add a striker and... We're, we're laughing, really. With uh, the likes of Brennan Johnson uh, being so versatile as well, playing on the left, playing on the right, he could even play through the middle. Josh, with um, Richarlison um, as well, I know we'll talk about every single player, um, but through the middle, do you expect in future transfer windows, either in January or the summer, do you expect that Hunmin Son will continue playing in that central role or do you think he will go out on the left? Do you think that Brennan Johnson could get an opportunity in the middle? Do you think Richarlison could even come back in the middle if not sold in January? Do you think Ange Postacoglu will mix it up? Because, you know, 
in this last month or so, that's all I hear Spurs fans keep saying, we need to sign a striker. We signed Belize in, in the summer. He's had very, very limited game time. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you think Son could end up going back out to the left? I think there's a chance. There's definitely a chance. I think we've also got to, to bear in mind we've got AFCON and we've got the Asia Cup. So, you know, there is going to be that scope. I believe that, um, was it Steve Cooper said in a in a, um, a post-match interview when he was at Forest that Brennan Johnson is a striker, that's his best position. And he plays through the middle for Wales as well. Yeah. I think he definitely deserves a chance. And, you know, the way that I probably would have set up, and I'm not Anne, so, I, you know, obviously if I was manager, and there's a reason I'm not manager, you know, the way I would have liked to set up was almost playing Brennan. Johnson as a as a striker, you know, just to get in behind to hurt teams. Richarlison is such a difficult one because everyone wants him to do well. He's not been anywhere near the level that we expect or the price tag justifies. But, and there is a but, and, you know, people will disagree with me probably, but I still want to give him another chance because he's had this long-term injury. He's had his operation. You know, and I was being told by a couple of people who who know some of the South American lads. Um, he was told by Richarlison that he's now driving without pain, which is a really bizarre thing to be told. And if that's true, and Richarlison was in pain driving his car to training during this injury it's kind of no wonder he's not delivering on the pitch. Now, now that he's recovered and he's going to need a couple of games to get back into things, when AFCON comes around and the Asia Cup comes around and Song goes to, to South Korea, Richarlison has to deliver. And for me, personally, I'm keeping Richarlison. I'm keeping him and I'm selling him in the summer. Uh, and if he can prove us all wrong, then we can reassess. But for me, this is the chance and this is the best chance that Richarlison will have in his Tottenham career to show why he's at the football club, to show why we paid the money for him and why he's Brazil's number nine. Because this isn't just his starting place or his future at Tottenham that's on the line. This is his place in Brazil that's on the line too. I think Gabriel Jesus has just scored for, for Arsenal. He's going to be knocking on the door. There's Endrick, there's other players. It's not just, you know, Richarlison. So I still think we need another striker as well. And I know that then you're thinking, oh, well, you've got so many strikers now. But there's still, I think you can never have too many of a good player. Um, provide... Josh, when you, say, when you said that um, you'd like to see Richarlison get another chance, do you mean in the middle? Yeah, absolutely. You've got to play him as a nine. Play him as a nine down the middle doing what he's meant to be doing best when Son's away and knowing that you can play a system where essentially your front three of Kulusevski, Son, uh, I mean, sorry, it would be Richarlison. There's so a Kulusevski, Richarlison, Brennan Johnson can all mm -hmm. interchange. We yeah. see what Kulusevski can do in the middle. He's been magnificent when he goes in the middle. Yeah. But actually he was really effective uh, on the wing in the second half yeah. against City. So Brennan Johnson likes going in the middle. Kulu likes going in the middle. Johnson can play on the right and the left. Richarlison can play, you know, we've seen. 
And maybe that's the key. Maybe maybe that's going to be something different that we haven't had this season is, you know, Son's been staying in the middle, not really going out on the right much or, you know, even on the left, he's been trying to avoid doing that so much. To have a front three where they're all interchanging, given the the way that we're attacking, maybe that's the key to uh, to making things click. We just don't know yet. Um, I want to see him get a chance, but I, I, I just still, I think this is do or die for Richarlison. If you uh, if you were to receive a, a forty million pound offer in the January transfer window for Richarlison, Josh, would you take it? Um, only if I could get a good striker that's going to cost at least double that. What would be success? for Spurs this season under Ange Postacoglu in his first season, particularly after the first 10 games, unbeaten start, this brand of football that we're seeing. What are you going to be happy with at the end of the season? What's the expectation now? Champions League football, because we are capable of that. This team has already shown, and this manager has already shown, we are capable of competing and, and mixing it up with the best teams again. And this is with practically reserves playing and players that shouldn't be at the football club playing and several key injuries. Champions League football has to be something that we feel and believe that we can achieve. However, as this point that's just just come up is made, it's going to take time. I'm not expecting us to challenge for Premier League titles or anything like that. But when I'm thinking of an end goal in a project, that's what I'm thinking about because we've been so close to winning titles. We've been so close to being right at the pinnacle of football, Champions League final, twice we could have won the Premier League. That has to be the end goal of any project, as far as I'm concerned. And when you're at a club like Spurs, that also has to be the end goal. For now, as I said to you before, would we all take getting back into Europe? 100%. Should we be now looking at Champions League football? Again, I think 100%, because we're capable of it. Back and with a few players in January that are going to add to the squad, players that suit his style and crucially that Ange wants, not that the club wants, but Ange wants. And I have no doubt, I said already, I have no doubts whatsoever that we can get Champions League football. Because remember, we've got that new Champions League spot in fifth place now. So finishing fifth, which is what I obviously what I predicted and where we are now, we are in, in the, the, the green zone. We're, we're in the perfect spot right now. If we can finish fourth, if we can finish third, if wherever it is, you know, it's going to be a good season provided we're back in Europe. But yeah, as I say, I know what we're capable of now. And to think that this squad could get Champions League football in the first season. I mean, that completely changes the game in terms of what we're capable of doing in the summer transfer window. And that's that's what I'm looking at is, you know, look what we're capable of. Let's believe Let's believe. Absolutely. Well said. Um, Josh, I wanted to ask you about the FA Cup draw. Of course, Spurs have been drawn in the third round against Burnley at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, when you look back earlier on in the season, what Ange did make, making 10 changes against Fulham in the League Cup, um, do you think he'll take the FA Cup a little bit more seriously? I know, obviously, we've got players going off uh, into their respective competitions in January, probably unavailable for those matches. Um, it's going to be a bit of a selection headache for Ange. You know, he can't go full strength as he probably hoped. Um, do you do you think that this competition will be taken more seriously than League Cup? And also, what does the FA Cup mean to you 
Um, firstly, you know, you know, God bless Tell, you know, one of the greatest managers the club has had. Won us the FA Cup before my time, but I hear the stories of it and I feel just as proud hearing the stories and seeing the, the smiles on Tottenham fans' faces who lived that experience. It means everything to me because I'm a Tottenham fan and the FA Cup means everything to our football club. We have always but, been a cup team. It's crazy though, isn't it? You weren't even born the last time we won the FA Cup. That's how crazy it is. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and look... It's our time, isn't it? You know, we're really overdue an FA Cup. And to do it... Year, I say that every year. Yeah, well, I know. I know, so do I. But to do it with Tell having just passed this season, with how things are going and how the manager has got us all on side, if we can all pack the stadiums home and away, like we always do, you know, and really... You know, th that's the key thing. Last season, Portsmouth at home, the atmosphere was shocking. Yeah. Shocking atmosphere. I want to see, no matter whether it's Morecambe or, you know, Maidstone United at home, I want to see an unbelievable atmosphere as if it's a big Premier League game because we can do something. All it takes, you, you've seen, Arsenal are playing Liverpool. That's going to be one big team out the FA Cup already. Yeah, yeah. Um. He's going to take it more seriously. Of course he is, because we're at home against Burnley, against the Premier League team that is going to play a full-strength team because, you know, Burnley could well get relegated this season. To win an FA Cup, you know, it completely changes their money streams, their revenues. They're, they're just like any other club. They've got a dream to win that cup. Every team wants to win it. There's no way he's going to rest the players like he did at Fulham when he's in front of his home fans because we will we will say something about it. I think Ange just learned very quickly what Tottenham fans are like and, and how quickly Tottenham fans... I think he, he's not an idiot. He will have seen how quickly Tottenham fans have turned on managers in the past. I, I don't think that he's going to take that risk. I think he's going to go and he's going to try and win it. Let's not forget, he's a manager that has not only won league titles everywhere he's been, he's won cup competitions everywhere he's been as well. Uh, and the FA Cup is the, the grandest and the richest and the most historic um, club competition you know, tournament, if you will, that, that you can take part in. So I fully expect us to go strong, as strong as we can. I think, yes, we're going to give the likes of maybe Jamie Donnelly a go, but that's because these players are good enough. And I think if Andrew's going to give them a chance, it's because they deserve to be there. Um, let's not forget as well, we start in the third round. It's not like we're a League One or League Two or National League side that played you know, already five, six games to, to get in there. There's not actually that many games between Burnley and a game at Wembley in the semi-final and then maybe even the final. Yeah. So for me, if you go based on the sort of win ratios and the way that we've done played this season, there's no reason why we can't do it. Um, but for me, yeah, I mean, it would mean more than anything. I think we're all just dying for a trophy at this point. Um, the Tiger Cup didn't quite do it for me in the summer. Um, I must say, but, you know, to win the FA Cup, you know, I would be prepared. And this is the debate that we always have on Twitter, isn't it? As Spurs fans, would you rather a lower league position and win the FA Cup? No Europe, but win the FA Cup or finish in Europe, but not win the FA Cup. We also win the FA Cup every time, pretty much. Um, but I genuinely believe that we can do both. And I, I can't wait. 
I, I can't wait for, for, for Burnley. Yes, it's not really a glamorous tie. I would have rather Maidstone United or a non-league tie to give them their kind of big payday and, you know, a bit of a romance of the cup. But, hey, there's plenty more rounds to go. Um, yeah, can't can't wait, really. Well, Josh, I was there for the Audi Cup win and the Tiger Cup win, but I do want to see an FA Cup uh, and fast. Um, just very quickly on the FA Cup, um, if you could choose an FA Cup win and no European football or Champions League football and no FA Cup, what would you choose? FA Cup win and no European football. Wow. Because, uh, it's, it's as simple as that because the second you give these players, we know we've got a good squad, right? Give them a taste of silverware, the curse broken at Tottenham. Well, I think there you're going to find yourself um, in, a, in a very good position. And also, I'm pretty sure don't, don't, if you win the FA Cup, don't you get, um, do you get European, you get Europa League qualification through that? I, I don't know if it's changed now, but. I think it depends on on uh, who who wins competitions or who who finishes in certain places. But I, the reason why I said "wow" then is because most young people that I speak to they're, they're they're all about the top four. They're all about the Champions League rather than the FA Cup or League Cup. Because even when we went out of the League Cup earlier on in the season, the amount of people said, "Oh, don't worry about it. We don't want that competition anyway." Which what what, what do you what do you make of the attitude about these domestic cups? Because you know, the FA Cup, when when some of the older people come on this channel, they're like, the FA Cup, the FA Cup final day, you know, you make a whole day of it. It was a, an amazing event. Everyone used to look forward to it. And the FA Cup just meant so much to everyone, to every fan, to every club. And it's just, it just seems to be diluted so much over the years. When you win the FA Cup or, or any, the League Cup, the FA Cup, it's not just winning it in that moment and enjoying that moment and having absolute delirium and, and a feeling like no other. It's also the day after and the next and the next and the trophy parade and the next and the next. And your whole summer is just going to be, you know, joyous in football terms. Yeah. You finish top four. Okay. That's great. We finished top four a lot. You know, it's almost become a bit of an expectation that we should finish top four because we've been doing it a lot. And for me, when I think of our football club, we used to have the game is about glory draped around White Hart Lane, you know? And and I, that's one of my big things that I, I don't like about the new stadium is I want to see that kind of attitude and th those kind of displays of culture in our football club, those quotes, uh, there on a match day. I want to see that, on uh, you know, between the stands and, and, and on the hoardings. Yeah. Um, I think it, it's honking that attitude that we're, you know, we don't care about the cup. The game, as I say, is about glory. It's about winning trophies. Everyone says to us, what a trophy. Everyone says, do you want, you know, that's the one thing that people have against Spurs constantly is you never win anything. You never win anything. Irrespective of, you know, the glory and the feeling of all of that, just going into work the next day, with Tottenham having won a bloody trophy after all the stick that I've had for years and you've had for years and everyone's had for years. I just can't wait to speak to the Gooners at work, you know? Um, top four doesn't really give you that, you know? Um, 
But as I say, and I, 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 that's not to say that top four is not important. I just think I think we're capable of doing both this season. So let's do it. Let's have a go. Um, you know, for me, FA Cup anytime. FA Cup anytime. It's not, and I get the League Cup a little bit. Like I'm not going to completely knock people that are kind of critical of the League Cup. For me, I would scrap the competition altogether. I'm not keen on it because of the expansion with the games in Europe. The FA yeah. Cup cannot be, you know touched in a, a negative way in, in in any way for me um you know that is as glamorous as winning you know pretty much any other trophy as far as i'm concerned so yeah it, it's 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 there it's a it's a massive trophy all I, I would love spurs to win it more than anything yeah well if we did get into the final it'd be 33 years since uh, last winning the competition, which is an incredible number of years. Uh, incredible. Um, Josh, I want to talk to you a little bit about the injuries because there have been so many injuries this season, not only for Tottenham, but many players in the Premier League. Um, now, Premier League injuries are up by 10% compared to this time last season. Um, what do you make of the longer matches, the higher intensity in the games, and, of course, the VAR checks? Uh, and Postacoglu... Um, said in one of his press conferences, I think it was after the Chelsea game, he felt like throwing some footballs on the pitch, you know, so the players weren't just standing around. Uh, the likes of Van der Ven, of course, uh, picked up that injury as well. What have you made of the games being so long, this Premier League campaign so far? Um, I was I was in favour of VAR when it was first um, introduced. I liked the idea that we could make the game fairer and better. Um but that's because I, you know, I've grown up watching a lot of rugby and I've grown up watching other sports like cricket where they use technology in a brilliant way. Um, we've had officials and referees for years making mistakes, haven't we? Uh, and it's part and parcel. It's what we debate in the pubs. It's what we debate before and after games. Then we're putting those same individuals in charge of technology that they're also making mistakes with that. And I think not only are we seeing mistakes on the pitch, we're seeing as many mistakes, if not more mistakes on the pitch and way more mistakes being made because of VAR. I'm now of the, the opinion it's got to go, completely got to go. The only form of technology that I'm in favour of is two things, semi-automated offsides, um, you know, where it's done by robots essentially and they are spot on. The World Cup in Qatar showed how effective that can be and uh, goal line technology. The rest... Get rid of it. it. It makes the game worse. Not only is it harder for us to get home as fans, but Van der Ven's injury, I'm 100% um, sure that that was caused because of the lengthy VAR delays and the standing around. When you're a player like that and you're so quick and you rely on your pace and you're having to sprint and the system doesn't help, you're always more likely to do a hamstring injury. I would also just say, though, this style of football, this intensity is always going to run the risk of injury with players uh, yeah. a lot because of the demands and the fitness that these players have. However, um, I think more than anything, you know, we've been in a much better position if VAR wasn't there, um, even for the decisions that have got against us. I just think that at least the referees have some form of integrity because if you're going to carry on like this, you might as well bring the robots in and not have referees at all. And then I think you've got a very different game. There's no human element with it. You know, I think that ultimately humans make mistakes. Human error is one thing. 
technological error as we had with Aston Villa, where the VAR wasn't sending pictures to Stockley Park for the first 15 minutes or however long it was, missing a blatant red card for, for an elbow from Diego Carlos and Brian Hill. That's a technology error and a human error we already have in football. OK, let's add those two together and add even more human error controlling the technology. How is that good? Plus the lengthy delays. You know, we just want to watch the football. We don't care about all of these delays. We just want to watch football. And you look back at some of these decisions. And you and me could see quite clearly it's offside there. Or we could see quite clearly this is the decision. Why is it taking so long? Yeah. It's a farce. It is a massive farce. And I've seen uh, talk of them looking to bring even more uh, technology in for corners and uh, second yellow cards. This is just a nonsense. Get rid of it. Because it's not only, you know, what what's going on is footballers aren't being treated like humans anymore because they're being put under these weird conditions in the game, which is not natural. They're having all these stoppages, which are not good when you're playing at a high level and you've got warm, especially in the winter months when it's bloody cold and it's quite easy to go from warm muscles to cold muscles and get stiff. But then on top of it, we're trying to bring more and more games into the season with international breaks and Nations League and expanded European competition. You know, this is this is an inevitable cycle of what, what's going to happen is we're going to see worse injuries, longer injuries. It's just going to carry on. It's got to stop at some point. And for me, VAR is the first thing that we can say, you know what? No, we've had enough. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Josh, Philip writes here, back in Josh all the way, scrap VAR. I just wanted to ask you, um, you said about, you know, just want to see the football. Now, I buy a lot of the newspapers after Spurs have played to read all of the match reports. And I just wanted to ask, you in your newsroom of all of your colleagues, what do you make of the whole VAR situation? Because all we want to, to see is match reports about the game. And this season, I must say, the amount of match reports, you know, from the Daily Mail, from lots of the other national newspapers, it's been dominated by VAR. You know, most of these match reports are just all about VAR. How does that make you feel as a journalist? Does it make your your job harder in that respect? Because you're not actually talking about what's going on on the pitch. You're talking about the, the match officials. I think it actually makes it easier because it's something that everyone's talking about. When I go into work on a Monday morning, what is the first thing that we're debating? We're, all day we're talking about VAR. All day we're debating these things. I've had, about, I've had about five or six debates 
with different people, people that I work with and people that work in the building that I know, you know, that have nothing to do with with what I do about Spurs City and about that stoppage. And I'm saying, you know, we're making a bit of a mountain out of a molehill with this decision, um, which I would say as a Spurs fan, you know, and they're arguing it's a terrible decision. I'm saying, oh, well, you know, we're putting this in the same light as Luis Diaz, which was a farce. Ultimately, it's not journalists' fault for talking about this. It's not fans' fault for talking about this. It's, it's the FA and the referees and the Premier League and, and FIFA and UEFA. It's the governing bodies and, and the, yeah. the officials that are causing this because they're the ones making silly mistakes game after game after game. And they've had VAR now. We've had VAR for, you know, was it two two years, two and a bit years now? And they've had long enough to get this right. They've had long enough. Other sports can get this right, so why can't football? Um, you know, I've just seen a, a message saying small debates or mass debates. I mean, we've just got... Um, I see what he's done there. <laughs> he's you fell straight into that one. <laughs> yeah, I have. Disastrous. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stop there. That's me done. No, it's, 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 uh, yeah, it is one of them. It's, it's just, this is what football has become. And you've got to ask yourself as a football fan and players and managers have got to start asking themselves the fact that this is the case, the fact that we're talking about VAR and we're not talking about the football. Is this really what the game is about? Is this really what we want the game to be? Um, and I, I don't think it is. I think that what, what made me fall in, do you know what, actually, more than anything, the number one thing that is said, right, in, in the office when I'm talking to my workmates is we'd be doing a story on Fernando Torres or John Obi Mikel or whoever it is, Jermaine Defoe, uh, Berbatov, whoever it may be, right? And then we're getting pictures up of, um, you know, the players to put images together for the articles. Um, Anderson from Man United looks unrecognisable as one we did yesterday, for example. And we're looking back at these photos and the, the thing that we're all saying, whoever we support, doesn't matter. Those were the days. That was when football was elite. And we're not saying that about football now. We're not talking about football being elite. We're talking about, yes, it's entertaining. Yes, it's dramatic. But I don't want football to become the pantomime. I don't want football to become the circus. I want football to be the beautiful game. I don't see how VAR makes it beautiful in the slightest. Josh, I asked uh, Martin Lipton of the Sun newspaper a couple of weeks ago if if the Premier League managers all had a vote to scrap VAR or keep it, what would the outcome be? He seemed to have thought that it would be literally split down the middle 50-50. Do you agree with that? I don't think it would be any more. I don't think it would be any more. Um, it's interesting, though, because I and the most poignant interview I've heard from any manager this season was uh, Monday Night Football's Gary O'Neill for Wolves uh, at Fulham, where he said, I was in favour of VAR and now I'm not. Now we've got to get rid of it. Um, you know, the longer this continues the more it's going to put people off. I think we're going to reach a breaking point where it's, you know, you've got a choice. Do you want to bring in the robots or do you want to scrap it for good? Mm. I don't think they're capable of getting VAR right. Other sports have shown they are, but I think the integrity of refereeing in those sports and 
or, or the officials, the role of an umpire in cricket or referees in rugby, there's been a lot more respect. And it's even from a fan perspective, the whole thing is there's a kind of different mindset towards it. I mean, look at uh, it, it, it's such a problem refereeing at the top level that it radiates into Sunday League. You know, male sports running a uh, stop, you know, a, a campaign to stop abusing refs. And what happens is we see how poor the officials are at the top level and some of the decisions. And then when, you know, Johnny takes his boy to football on a Sunday morning, the referees are getting abused by parents and by kids because now all referees are put under the same brush yeah. because of the mistakes that are being made. And that's where, and, and, and from what I understand, those rates of abuse and these issues are only getting worse. And I think no doubt because of what VAR has also done to the game and, and the, the way that this has become, uh, you know, and I think that ultimately you're choosing a lesser of two evils here, but I think we can all probably understand and appreciate that referees can make honest mistakes when there's no technology there because the technology is brought in for clear and obvious. First of all, that's been scrapped. There's no such thing as clear and obvious anymore um, because they want to interfere with just about anything and everything. And what's clear and obvious to you might be not clear and obvious to me. Mm. Um, entirely subjective. I just think, yeah, we can't carry on like this, can we? We can't carry on like this. And it's not just, you know, the decisions. And I know we've got very, very lucky, you know, against Liverpool, against City. But what about, uh, I saw someone, there was a TikTok that someone did saying that actually without VAR, I think Tottenham would be top of the table right now. So yeah. um, every team has it in their favour against them. I just think why carry on like this? Let referees do their job. Let's try and the, the way to stop abusing referees is to actually treat them with some respect because we understand as fans that they are humans and they are training and they're doing their best. Now it feels like they're not. Now people are throwing the C word around. You know, yeah, it's difficult. I saw it. I saw a TikTok uh, recently, Josh, where um, someone had taken um, some footage in a Sunday League game, and the referee then went over, looked at the uh, footage on the phone, then gave a penalty. Crazy stuff. That's Sunday League for you. Um, now, our schedule during December: seven games. Of course, we've played Manchester City. Uh, we've got West Ham on Thursday. We've got Newcastle on Sunday, followed by Nottingham Forest away, Everton at home, Brighton away, and Bournemouth at home. Um, that takes us up to the new year. And Postacoglu said we've got to get through this period and then we know that we can compete with top teams. Now, we're not used to playing two games a week, Josh, because, of course, out of the League Cup at the end of August, no European football. How do you think Spurs will fare, particularly with our injury problems that we've got so far in the next six games, taking us up to the start of January? It's going to be difficult. It's going to be very difficult. But... One thing that I hope is that we all accept that and appreciate that and do something about that as Spurs fans, uh, particularly at home. Um, I want to see an amazing atmosphere for all our home games. And I, I think there are going to be moments where it's not pretty, where it may look like Sheffield United or Liverpool, and we may win in the last minute. But we've got yeah. to be pushing our team right on till the end. And we've got to... You know, any boost that we as a supportive base can give to our players 
the, even the ones we don't like, even the ones we don't think should be at the club, the, the Davises, the Dyers, etc. You know, we've got to get behind every single one of those lads because they are wearing the lily white uh, of Spurs and they are wearing the badge, you know. And I think that ultimately there's going to be some disappointment along the way. There's going to be some great joy too. A lot of these players have played two games a week before and they do it in the internationals as well. Um, you know, so I, I think it's just one of those things that I think actually the biggest test is Thursday, Sunday, West Ham, Newcastle, two tough games at home. Yeah. Quick turnaround, you know, as far as I'm concerned, get through that. And I'm convinced that the players, you know, they can build the confidence and keep going because um, once you get into the swing of it, I think it becomes your whole training routine, your recovery, uh, your diet and everything you're doing in your spare time is all scheduled around, you know, you're training less, you're doing more game prep and recovery. Uh, you, you just get into the flow and, and maybe actually it's what Tottenham needs. Maybe it's what Tottenham needs to actually click into gear is playing more regularly. Um mm. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. I think get through these next two games, and I'm confident we can. Uh, and then we've got a, a nice little set of fixtures uh, going into Christmas, which which is great. Um, I'm glad we're coming out of this period where we've... I mean, this has been ridiculous, hasn't it? To have Chelsea and then Wolves away, which is a tough game. We all know it's a tough game, a bit of a bogey team. To then go, you know, Aston Villa, who are flying, City, West Ham, Newcastle. I mean, that's one hell of a run of games. Um, to be doing what we're doing now, yeah, let's get through these next two games. I'm, I'm confident. I'm confident in the guys because Andrew's given us this confidence as a fan base. Josh, just very quickly, how many points do you think we'll pick up this week against West Ham and Newcastle? <laughs> I want to say six. I want to say I believe this team can get six points. And I do believe they can get six points. I can see four. I don't think we'll lose. I think because we're at home, I back us to, to win those two games. I know we've lost the last two home games, but yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say six. Why not? You know, it might be bold, but you know, I'd be happy with four points as well. Now, when we go into January, of course, uh, as we mentioned already, we play that Burnley game in the FA Cup on the 6th. And then we've got Manchester United away on the 14th of Jan. Uh, then there's a the winter break. Uh, the 30th of Jan, we face Brentford at home. So there's only three competitive games in January for Tottenham. It could be four if, uh, if we get through to the FA Cup fourth round. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, the Asia Cup and the AFCON, uh, Basuma, Saar and Son will be gone. Now, the competitions, respectively, 12th and 13th of January, and it could go on until the 10th or 11th of Feb. Now, players can be called up to their, to their uh, international squads up to two weeks before. So they could actually play the Bournemouth home game on New Year's Eve and then they could all then go off. So they could all be missing for Burnley at home, Manchester United away and Brentford at home. How do you think we're going to cope with those players gone? Um, we're going to struggle um, with their absence. But hopefully, fingers crossed, Van der Ven's injury recovery is better than expected. I know we've just had an update 
I think the Athletic have reported that Madison fears he could be out even longer than expected. Um, But this is why January is so important. We should be already knowing who we're going to go for. We should already be in those discussions and we should be ready on the 1st of January to be bringing players through the door. We cannot, under any circumstances, leave it to the last minute of the window like we did with Pedro Porro. You know, even if it's a loan with an obligation to buy or an option to buy, however you want to do the deal. We've got players going. We should be having two players minimum through the door in January within the first week. If we do that, and you remember the conversations we had when we were crying for a centre-back in the summer, and we were thinking we cannot fathom why there wasn't a centre-back at the club already for the pre-season tour. Can't let that happen now because we've already got enough injuries as it is, you know, and we're going to need players to step up. But as far as I'm concerned, okay, we're going to lose Son. We need one attacking player to come in for me to, and I'm not expecting necessarily to be amazing straight away, but we need someone that's going to come in, provide competition and, and push, you know, same thing with a defender. We need another defender uh, in January to cover us a little bit. We may need a midfielder as well. We may need three players uh, in, in January. There'll be a winger or central midfielder. Jota, um, whether it be Bakayoko um, or, or um, Ilian as well at, at Juventus. I don't want to see us waiting again. Because we, this is it. It really is, for me, as simple as, okay, there's no guarantee that, um, you know, it's all going to click straight away. But you give yourself a much better chance of not suffering these players going if you've got players that can come in and your squad is still packed. Because what happens if you get more injuries? What happens if it starts snowing and the players get stopped because of a bloody stupid four-minute VAR wait and another player does a hamstring? And it's Romero this time. We can't keep doing this. You know, it's very clear what we need to do. It should be very clear to the board. If we go and do it, then happy days. We can all be delighted and we can all back the squad and we can all know, okay, not only have we got a great manager, not only have we got great players, but we've also, you know, got a squad that is capable of competing. Because I don't want to see us in a, position where, you know, as you've spoken about with the FA Cup, we're forced to make crazy changes and field a weakened side because that's all we can field. I mean, we're asking to get knocked out of the Cup. You know, Um, I'm not expecting the world this season, but, you know, let's let's get these things right. Let's set the standard high and let's start acting like a big club if that's what we want to aspire to be. Let me just say as well, Basuma, Sar and Son, if they do go far uh, with their respective countries in those competitions, they could miss the Everton away game on the 3rd of Feb and the Brighton home game on the 10th of Feb. Um, And let me just come back to your point, Josh, as well, that uh, we did wait to the final uh, day of the transfer window and end up with Kulisewski and Bentonkur. So it's not all that bad. I know I, I know. I completely get what you're saying. We want business done early. And yeah. yes, I know why you're cheering, because Luton have just taken the lead <laughs> against Arsenal. Um, uh, I know you weren't cheering about the January transfer window <laughs> yet. I, know, I, I knew that. Um, we've just covered Madison's injury update. Um, as you said, um, it now looks like he could be back in Feb. 
uh, which is a big loss because he's such a great player and he's been such a, a great signing since the summer. Um, let me come on to talk about some of the um, some of our current players. And then finally, Josh, I wanted to ask you about what positions and, and who you think that we will be looking at uh, to sign in the January transfer window. But let's start with former club captain Hugo Lloris. What do you think will happen with Hugo Lloris? Do you think there's a chance of him moving on in the January window? He hasn't even been on the sub bench this season. Yeah, I think Tottenham will probably once again try and... <laughs> would it surprise you if Tottenham try and get another another fee for him in January? Probably not. Um, I think that it's one of them. It, it, it's kind of neither here nor there. He's either going to carry on until the end of the season and he's going to go on a free. He may go on a free in January. Um, yeah, I, I don't think we can get a fee for him now. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that... Um, it's just sad that he's not able to say goodbye. And maybe, just maybe, the FA Cup game is an opportunity. I don't know. It might be a risk. But I don't know. I think I think maybe we could put him on the bench for the FA Cup tie. And if we can get the game done and dusted, then for the last 10 minutes, 15 minutes, we can bring him on and, and give him a proper send-off. Because I think he deserves that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I your guess is as good as mine with Hugo Lloris. Um, it's it's a very strange situation. I do, I do agree, though. I think he does need some sort of send off, and I think that it would be a big, big shame if he didn't get it. Especially when you saw I, I've mentioned this before on this channel that uh, in that Shakhtar Donetsk game, uh, their goalkeeper um, got a, a real great send off, and I think that that's something that we should have probably done as well. Um, Viles, of course, we brought him in in the summer. There have been many reports going around stating that um, a number of clubs are interested, including Bologna, about taking him on loan. Would it be a good move for him personally? Would it be a good move for the football club to loan a player like that out? Because you've said throughout that in, entire hour and seven minutes of this stream so far, we need a striker. We've got a striker. Why haven't we played him? Do you think we will play him? Do you think we'll send him out on loan? Um, I think there's a chance he might go out on loan. I personally don't want him to go out on loan. I think he needs to be here in the environment and I think he needs to be training with the lads and I think he needs to be working hard, keep doing what he's doing. Um, when he's given those cameos off the bench, he needs to do the very best he can and he needs to try and impress. Um, and I think if he's hungry enough for it, he'll get his chance. Uh, I was never expecting a lot from him straight away. I think he's got a lot of talent, clearly. Um, and, and I've seen the footage of what he's done in Argentina. It's tremendous. Um, but, you know, I think even just in recently, in one of the Tottenham social videos, his English seems to be OK. Um, that's coming along quite nicely. He's playing, as I say, for the under 23s, getting minutes. Um, yeah, I think I think his time will come. And I I've seen enough from him so far where I actually quite like the physicality and I've liked a few little bits that I've seen. Obviously we've seen very little, but you know, I've seen enough so far that I, it doesn't make me think he needs a loan. Um, you know, why not give him the chance? Remember the guy is, was he 20 years old, 19, 20 years old? Um, there's no harm in loaning him next season if he needs a loan next season. But I think right now he's of an age where he can afford to still be at the club for now work hard and, and get your chance and hopefully he takes it. I, I've not got a bad word to say about Belize. I've got 
a lot of time and, and a lot of patience when it comes to him because he's young and you know we I think we can all see he's got a lot of potential just you know the right game the right moment the ball falling in front of him in the right area and he puts it in the back of the net and it could it could change things the same thing goes for for Jamie Donnelly the same thing goes for for Dorrington if he's given a chance or any of the young lads really it's a case of you know hopefully a bit of luck but just keep doing what you're doing working hard and I, I'm sure I'm sure Ange will give them their chance if he feels they're ready well Jamie Donnelly um in my opinion was certainly ready um you know fantastic he made his debut only for a couple of minutes um at the Etihad against Manchester City on Sunday what do you think will happen with Jamie Donnelly because it's, it's been a, a real great thing to see I, I've watched him a lot for the under 18s and the under 21s uh the under 21s has been absolutely brilliant so far this season you know I talked to his dad a lot as well and they're massive Spurs fans Spurs through and through uh, for him to make his debut for Spurs is an absolute dream come through, uh, true for him and his family. What is best for someone's development of that age, Josh? Is it best now to send him out on loan? Because there have been reports in the past couple of weeks about possible loan move to Leighton Orient. Would that be a good move for him? Terrible move for him because he's better than that. He's better than that. Jamie Donnelly is phenomenal. He is absolutely phenomenal. And if he's capable of coming on against Manchester City, the treble winners, the best team in the world. They're going to be the world champions. He's good enough to play in the Premier League. For me, keep giving him minutes, give him a chance. This kid's good enough. He's special. And I think he's probably, from what I've seen, there's an almost a, a little bit of an arrogance to the way he plays, where I think he knows he's good enough. And I think he knows he's too good for Leighton Orient. And I think actually that's going to be harmful for his development. I mean, look what happened to Dane Scarlett when he went to Portsmouth. He had fallout with the manager and there was disagreements over playing him on the wing or playing him up top. He wanted to play up top. They wanted to put him on the wing. He kicked off uh, about it. It's not always good. It's not always good for a player's development. Donnelly is Spurs through and through. He's a one hell of a talent. We may not actually need a striker if he can come in and start scoring goals. My whole mindset on that has changed, I think, in the in the last sort of seven or eight years because look what's happened with Marcus Rashford. I know obviously he's not scoring at the minute, but look at the impact he made when he first got a go. Look at Evan Ferguson at Brighton. He's been a bench player a lot of the time and then he's given his chance and now he's, you know, he's front and centre. Jamie Donnelly is in the same boat. Give him the minutes, give him a go, see what he can do. We should not be sending him to Leighton Orient before he's had the chance to prove himself in the first team. Clearly, he's good enough in training. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in the squad and he wouldn't be brought on by Ange. So, yeah, he, you've got to give him a chance. And if if a player like that is going to get a loan because it's, you know, there's promising signs, but they're not quite there yet. Spurs have got to get better at loaning players to higher calibre clubs. Josh, just saying, Harry Kane went to Leighton Orient. He did, but he's not Harry Kane. He's Jamie <laughs> Donnelly. Jamie Donnelly is one of our own. He's a different, it's a different thing. And I know, and everyone loves to make the comparison, but Jamie Donnelly has the potential to be a magnificent player for Spurs in his own right. And I think, you know, Harry Kane seemed to be 
lacking a little bit at that age. He always had quality, but, you know, that in a way that Donnelly isn't. I think Donnelly, from people I've spoken to who follow the academy a lot closer than I do, who have been to the training ground and are there a lot and know the guys and know David Pleat and the, the likes who have seen these guys, you know, grow up. The thing that I'm told every time about Donnelly is he's the best one they've ever had in, in recent in recent you know years. He, he's like of a level where he is. A lot of people have even said he's better than Harry Kane was at this point. So, yeah, for for me, I I just want to see him get minutes. I would love nothing more than to see Jamie Donnelly. And, and you know, maybe it's the case that when Richarlison does go, and I think it probably is inevitably, will end up going in the next two transfer windows, you know, that maybe Jamie Donnelly can take a big number at Spurs and and he can start writing his own his own history with our football club. Um, you know, I, I think that we cannot disregard what the younger the, the younger teams have done in the last few the last few months and the last year. I mean it's just incredible and it's kind of all seems to be coming together at once, doesn't it really? Because you know, there's talk of oh, the academy is not very good and all of this. And then suddenly, look look at the cups that are being won and look at, you know, how we're doing at the minute. So, yeah, give him a chance. It's very difficult for the youngsters, though, Josh, isn't it? Because you've got a player like Jamie Donnelly, who is knocking on the door, wants that opportunity. You've just said yourself, uh, you know, we, we all hope that he gets the opportunities. But players like this, how do they get the opportunities? Because... When the likes of me and you and other podcasters and uh, and other fans and, you know, pundits saying Spurs have got to go out and do this in the transfer window. We've got to go out and sign X, Y, Z. We've got to go and sign experienced players. How do a lot of these youth players get opportunities? And, and do you think that, you know, Andrew was appointed, you know, Daniel Levy actually said, we've appointed Andrew Postacoglu because he believes in the youth system. He will use the youth system. How much of the youth system do you believe that he will use this season and uh, you know how will these youngsters get major opportunities when we as fans keep crying out for more signings well I think it, it's about the right mentality as a player how good you are as a player um, and, and a bit of luck along the way and actually it's these moments now where we've got an injury crisis and we're seeing the likes of um, Yago Santiago and, and Donnelly and Dorrington and Gunter, these types of players, getting an opportunity on the bench. Because all it takes is one lengthy VAR call, a pulled hamstring, you know, and there's your chance. Um, you know, these guys are obviously training with the first team lads. They're obviously training with them every single day. So and just seeing what they can do. And ultimately, there's a few things. They've, a, they've got to be better. They've just got to be better than what we've got. Uh, and if they are good enough, you know, they will get the chance. But also, I, I think that it, it's a case of, you know, like like we have here in terms of buying players. OK, we do need players, but sell in the right areas. Look at um, Donnelly is a great example, as we've been discussing you know, he was initially, it seemed to be, you know, an out-and-out striker. And he's now transformed into this sort of incredibly uh, talented creator and number 10, as well as a striker. He can play yeah. both roles. James Madison's injured right now. Hyung Min Son's off to the Asia Cup. 
not only have we got someone that can play the striker role, but he can also play the 10 role. So having that adaptability is also important. Being able to play multiple positions to the highest possible level is going to set you apart. And I think ultimately, the ones that are meant to make it and are good enough to make it will make it. Um, and, and I think it, we just so happen to be at a point perhaps where, um, you know, they might get that chance. And and we seem to have a really good bunch of of youngsters at the minute. And, and long may it continue. I've just seen a comment, Evan Ferguson, Luke, Rico Lewis had to force their way in by being better than their counterparts. Exactly that, you know, Jamie Donnelly, I think is confident enough that he can do it. I, if, if I was Jamie Donnelly, and I was told I had to go to Leighton Orient. And there's no disrespect to Leighton Orient, who I think are a fantastic football club in their own right. I'd be questioning my future at the club altogether. Because if you're if you if you're that good and you know you're good enough, and that's you know, at least send them to a championship club or to another Premier League club, you know, whether it be Luton or whatever, you know, I think that that's often been where we're, where it's gone wrong as well is that the club has not respected those youngsters. It's kind of like, yeah, we'll get them off our books. We'll accept this. We'll accept that, you know, just get them, get them away. Um, I think there needs to be a lot more care in terms of where. I think in fairness though, Josh, a lot of the players are constantly knocking on the door. They want game time. They want to play. Um, you know, in a competitive competition, they want they they want game time. So some some of these players are knocking on the door asking for exactly that. Yeah, uh, and and that's good. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. But I think if you're going to ask for it, you've also got to back it up with your performances. And I think we've got a group of lads that, you know, at the minute that have all the tools and the skills and the potential to to do just that. <laughs> We've talked about how we're going to get through this moment, um, you know, when AFCON and the Africa Cup of Nations comes around and we've got two games a week. Here here you have it. These youngsters yeah. are going to have to step up and they know that if they can deliver on the big stage and they can take their chance, not only are is that a good thing for us as a club and for them as, you know, their development. I mean, this is, this is the type of thing that, suddenly players that come back aren't necessarily going to be guaranteed their spot anymore. And I think that's that's the dream scenario is you can have some players that, you know, like an Evan Ferguson or a Rashford or a Rico Lewis, where they've proven they're good enough and, and actually it's hard to displace them now. And and I think that maybe that that will be the key to solving a lot of a lot a lot of issues at the club. And I think it is going to be, you know, one I saw one comment talking about, you know, we need to have patience. I completely agree. Um, and, and that's I'm sure it's going to be part of the plan because Tottenham, from what I understand, don't have a huge transfer kitty this window. We've got to be clever with what we do. But when I say we need a player or we need a signing, I don't want to see us just splash the cash for the sake of it. An academy star coming through, getting a chance, taking that chance and finding themselves in the squad. That's a new signing in my book because it, it gives you an option you didn't think you had or you didn't know you had before. That's So I think that's an important thing to, to, to kind of make clear is that, you know, if I say, when I say, and it's just me though, you know, and I'm sure others think the same as well and others might have a different opinion, but 
Academy stars making it. That is a new signing. Yeah. Brian Hill, of course, he's had a couple of starts in the last couple of games. What have you made of Brian Hill? Do you think he's going to be a future star at Spurs? Or do you think they'll offload him in the summer? And the reason why I say summer, Josh, is because I don't know whether you agree with me here uh, and the statement I'm going to, uh, about to make. I would be extremely surprised if any players left the football club in the January transfer window because of the injury problems that we've had or, or, or currently got. I would 100% agree with you completely. Um, yes, I, I, I think Brian Hill's a difficult one because... I actually really like him. There's something about him where I can't help but love him. But I also don't think he's good enough. I don't think he's not a good enough footballer. I just don't think he's a good enough Premier League footballer. I just think that, you know, ultimately what is costing him is his physicality. I think it's harsh to judge him on Man City because I think it was a terrible matchup for him uh, under the circumstances. But I do think that there are games where he has his purpose. I mean, he was magnificent against uh, Portsmouth. He was magnificent against uh, Crystal Palace away last season. You know, and I remember us singing in the at Selhurst Park in the away end. We were all singing Brian, Brian Hill, you know, and it was crazy because no one really expected it. He has his games and he has his moments and his times. Actually, there was a lot that I really liked from him. Um was it? I think it was against Villa that I, I there was things that I was I really liked his movement. For example, I just think long term, uh, yeah, I think Sue Sue sums it up uh, perfectly. Uh, he is a La Liga player. There's a reason why people rave about him in Spain, but he doesn't get the same reviews in England. I think there is just a fact that some players are better suited to other leagues and. It's the way it is. I think there's not much he can do about his genetics. I don't think he can, you know, he can try and eat as much spinach and be like Popeye as he wants, but it's not going to make him grow the muscles. You know, um, I I hope that as long as he's here, he gets played in the right moments and he does his best and I'm fully behind him. Um, and it will be one of those that I think probably, probably will go in the summer. Um, and I wish him all the best if he does go. Um yeah, I just think long-term, short-term, I think it's great that he's there. Long-term, obviously, we look to get a player that is a bit more powerful and suited to the Premier League because, you know, that's that's what this league is kind of becoming now. The the players that tend to make it are the ones that are a lot more physical. Even, even the likes of Bukayo Saka, who looks, you know, tiny, is very physical and not afraid to get stuck in and, you know, have the challenges and, and get physical and win those 50-50s that, you know, Hill perhaps doesn't. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. I think it would be surprising if he leaves. I saw another comment. I think Dyer will go. Yeah, if there is one, I think Dyer probably is the most likely, uh, only because I think that if there's a chance to cash in rather than lose him on a free, we will do so. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think that, I'm not one of those people that's going to get on the, the, the bandwagon of shooting down Brian Hill um, because he's essentially physically quite weak uh, because I don't think there's any doubting what he can do with the football at his feet. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think he's a terrific player, but like you said, just not in the Premier League. Um, Lo Celso, 
Now, before a ball was kicked this season, or or, or even pre-season, should I say, um, I thought he was going to be heading out the door, I must say. I didn't think we'd ever see him in a Spurs shirt again. Um, had a fairly decent pre-season. Um, last couple of games, I always say that if players are injured and you've got fringe players and players that aren't getting much game time, it's all about taking opportunities. I believe that Lacelso in the last couple of games has taken his opportunity, certainly against Manchester City. Um, an excellent pass uh, rate against City as well. 40 out of 40 passes. Um, great goal as well. Um, Barcelona were heavily linked with Lacelso in this upcoming January transfer window. Apparently, he is at the top of their uh, you know, to-do list. They want him. Um, I don't think there's any chance now, Josh, is there? Uh, you would have to offer us Frankie de Jong <laughs> or, or, or one of their absolute... They have to offer us a, a top player or pay top buck, which they can't afford. It's not going to happen. Barcelona can only do deals if it's loan with, you know, clauses and obligations and things like that. And look what they're trying to do with Cancelo. They're trying to renegotiate the Cancelo deal to get it cheaper. They are completely screwed financially, Barcelona. If they think they're going to take a player that is performing for us right now, that is crucial to Argentina, and I say this every time I talk about Lascelles, so whether it be on here, on Spaces, wherever, the only reason he wasn't being talked about, the only reason he didn't get a big money move, you know, or the chance perhaps, was because of the injury at the World Cup. People are talking about McAllister purely because, in, in, in terms of, you know, I think that he obviously did great at Brighton, but Argentina in the World Cup elevated his level, you know, completely. It's what I think earned him the Liverpool move. Because Lo Celso was injured. He starts he starts when he's fit. So it's crazy that we've got this player and he costs a lot of money, but it almost feels like he's turned a leaf. It's like we've just signed him for the first time now. We can almost forget what's happened in the past and we've signed a player that is delivering. Um, it, it's really exciting to see. I think he was magnificent. And when Bentoncourt, who was really creative until his injury, you know, he went off and then... Lucelso comes and takes the mantelpiece. He, he, he's the one that's creating every, almost every pass Lucelso does. It's not only successful, but it's progressive. And it's exactly what we've been crying out for. And actually, it's made me think um, when fully fit, and this is this is just based on how players are performing at the minute, I'd actually quite like to see fully fit our midfield be. Madison in the 10, Lacelso playing with Bentoncourt. I'd actually quite like that to be our midfield. Maybe it's too attacking, but Bentoncourt is a six. Um, you know, and I, I really like the balance that we had in the midfield until Bentoncourt's injury as well. So, yeah, it's super exciting. But Barcelona can, yeah, jog on as far as I'm concerned because they can't afford it. And if he's going to carry on playing the way he's doing, you can add another, you know, 10, 15 million on a price tag, which is already likely to be quite high given the fee we paid for him in the first place. It's just not going to happen. Josh, I don't want to seem negative about Lacelso, but I feel like we have seen him have a couple of good games to Spurs before. It has been a very difficult four years for him. And when you think that the amount of managers we've had during that period, and of course he's spent time away on loan, how confident are you that this run will continue, this form will continue? at the football club? 
provided he gets the love and support and the game time he needs, it, it will continue as long as he wants it to continue for. And as long as, you know, this is a very different Tottenham team and I'm trying my best. Or I have tried my best to try and judge every player from scratch this season because of how different the style is. Yeah. yeah. I'm still hung up with Eric Dyer and, and Ben Davis. I'm still, you know, not sure I can forgive that because I think that they should have been gone years ago. Um, but Dyer's going, don't worry. Yeah. Well, this is it. And uh, But the Celso, look, I get this, but at the same time, he was superb at Villarreal. Absolutely magnificent at Villarreal and was crucial to them winning Europa League. He has been brilliant for Argentina. And the thing that I always think is if this is a player that is so crucial to the world champions and they value him so highly, there's something not quite adding up if us as a fan base can't see his quality and if he's not able to fulfil this at Tottenham. Especially when... You know, Argentines tend to have a pretty good record in the Premier League. As far as players from a certain country go, Argentines tend to do well in the Premier League, historically at least have. Um, yeah, I want to I want to just keep going, keep showing him love and support, get behind him. If he has a bit of a stinker one game, let's not all jump on his back and say, I knew this was happening. He's crap, you know, as Tottenham fans often do. You know, I think we're all guilty of it at times. Um, yeah, I, I think this is this is what I want to see. I want to just see us us give him love, and and you know let him do the talking with his performances. Um, and also remember that every player can have a bad game. Um, so yeah, I, I I understand the skepticism, and I think it's completely fair enough. The only thing that will really uh, answer that is his performances, and you know I'd love to sit down with you at the end of the season and, and we can talk about La Celso again and see how far he's come. I'm so yeah. glad he kept him at the football club. Um, but I think what he's shown is he has the potential, at least, to be a crucial player for us. When you said um, do the talking with your football, I immediately uh, thought of Pierre Mihoybier because, of course, he's been on the bench for the majority of the season. He's been super professional. Whenever we've uh, wanted to call on him or Andrew's called on him, He's really performed. Would you expect him to leave at the end of the season? Uh, because there were many reports coming out saying that he wanted a new challenge. Do you think that he suits and Postacoglu's style? Or do you think he will move on in the summer? I think that there is a chance that he will move on in the summer. There is. Um, the way I feel about Hoybeer is this. He gets a lot of hate. He also gets a lot of love. I think he's a Marmite character amongst our fan base. You either love him or hate him. And I'm in the kind of, I'm in the love him camp because what I see there is a player that puts absolutely bloody everything on the line. He works and works and works. And he played almost every game for three consecutive seasons for club and country. And Gosh, you, you could say that about Ben Davis. I think you're pretty harsh on Ben Davis. The difference between Hoybier and Ben Davis, and I look, I've got nothing but respect for what Davis has done for the club, but I don't think he's got the legs for it. You know, what you're seeing is now the way that teams are setting up with quick, powerful strikers, he was chasing everything. And I don't think that's good for him. 
I, I, I don't think Ben Davis is a terrible footballer, but I don't think he's good enough to be playing for this Tottenham team with where we want to go. And I think this has been often the case throughout his time at the club, because let's not forget he joined and he was second choice. He's kind of, for the most part, been second choice and he's been super professional. And that I admire about him. You can't knock the fact that he's the Wales captain. It's great. But, you know, I'm looking at Hoybier in a slightly different light where I'm saying, look at the teams that are linked with Hoybier. Look at the teams that have interests. It's Atletico Madrid. It's Juventus. It's Inter Milan. Yeah. The teams that constantly want Pierre-Emil Hoybier, bar Fulham, perhaps, and Fulham were looking at him as an option to replace Palinia. And that shows how highly they rate him as well, because Palinia is a magnificent footballer. The calibre is so much higher than the teams that are after Ben Davis, if you know, if teams are interested in Ben Davis. Um the ideal scenario is that you keep him in your squad. When you have injuries, he steps up as he's done. Uh, but then when you have a fully fit squad, you can use him to shut games out so that we don't do, you know, what we've done where we've blown leads in recent weeks. You know, Hoybier is the type of player that 60, 65 minutes in, we need someone to enforce it. And let's not forget, the way we play the amount of energy and the amount of effort that these players have to put in, you're going to yeah. need to use all five subs. With a fully fit squad and a great squad depth, everyone, every sub's going to be utilised. Hoybier fits that camp for me as someone that can step in. He's good in the cup games. He's good off the bench. He's good when there's an injury. And he, you know, you know that if Benton Core gets injured for another four months, that you've got a player that if he needs to play for four months, Hoybier can play for four months. So, yeah, that's that's the, a, a thing that I don't think other players perhaps offer when they're in that position. But I, I, I think that Hoybjerg, to me, you can already see him in the dugout as a manager when he retires. He's got that kind of mindset and professionalism about him, doesn't he? He's, he's a real leader. And I think that, you know, having that experience and that leadership, especially now that we seem to be going for younger players as well, um, it's going to be important. He's a leader and he seems to be popular in the camp as well. You need players like that in the club. Yeah, I think the leadership this season has been incredible and we probably haven't spoken enough about the pressing and the fitness this season has been incredible as well uh, from every single player in the squad. Um, very quickly, Josh, um, Ryan Sessegnon um, and Perisic. Uh, Perisic, of course, is recovering from an ACL. Would you expect that he's played his last game in a Spurs shirt because, of course, his injury is quite lengthy. And uh, Ryan Sessegnon, it looked like he was going to go out on loan. And then, of course, he picked up another injury. What do you think the uh, futures hold for both of those? It's just desperately sad. Both of them desperately sad. Um, Perisic, yes, I think he's probably played his last game for the club um, on the basis of the fact that, you know, he's he's of a certain age where he may decide... Do you know what? Actually, this this is how I would put it with, with, with Perisic. If Perisic wants to stay for another year and wants to be part of the squad, knows he's not going to start games necessarily, but he will be in and around the squad, in the squad some weeks, might not make the squad some weeks, whatever it is, I would happily offer him a contract because of his work rate, his professionalism, his experience at the top, top, top level. 
you know, in the big games at the big clubs. Sessegnon, however, it's just desperately sad. We all wanted him to be brilliant for us. We all thought he could be brilliant for us. And it's just one after another and another. And I just hope that he can sort his fitness out. He can go out, uh, you know, with his head held high at Spurs without any hatred or vitriol towards him, nothing but love and respect. And, you know, he can go and make his career somewhere else, whether it be in the MLS, whether it be in the championship, who knows, Um, whether it be in the Premier League, you know, um, I I just can't see it working out now for him at Spurs. And my biggest fear with Sessegnon is that, you know, I don't want to see him retiring at the age of 27, 28, because these injuries are so repetitive. Um, Yeah, I I, I don't see a future for, for Sessegnon, but Perisic is a type of player for me that if he wants a new deal, give him a new deal. If he wants to leave, respect that and, you know, shake hands and, and wish him the very best. Um, you know, there's no doubting what a fantastic footballer Perisic has been throughout his career. And, you know, the assist last season, he was a shining light in what was a very dark time for us last season, a lot of the time and playing out of position as well and set up, I think, to fail by Conte. Um, yeah, so if he can get fit and he, you know, that's one of the things that always amazes me about Perisic is, and I'm not one of those people that generally spends much time looking at footballers' bodies um, or marvelling at them, but the guy has basically got a cheese grater as an abdomen. It is just ridiculous. The guy is in the most ridiculous shape and always has been. So, yeah, Perisic is, is different, isn't it, really? I think that it's good to have players like that around the squad. Do you know, Josh, even in Australia, when I went out to pre-season, he was one player that was actually walking. I, I, I was walking down the street. He was walking on the other side of the road or, or, or a gentle jog. Um, he's obsessed with fitness. He just wants to keep active all the time. He's an incredible professional. He's, he's, he's super, super fit. Um, now, of course, Pedro Porro has been our preferred right back this season under Ange. Emerson Royale has had uh, limited game time. Of course, he's come in uh, and played centre-back in the last couple of games. But I wanted to ask you about Jed Spence, currently out on loan. Do you, do you think we'll ever see him play for Spurs again? I think it's, uh, I think it's a case of the Joe Roden um it, it's just one of those that was meant to be a great signing and it's just for whatever reason just it's not not happening um jed spence it's one of those because i don't think that i think there's a very good player in there i really do think there's a good player in there but he's got to show his attitude is there. He's got to show that everything about him is, you know, and if there's a manager that is going to give a chance to that type of player, it's Ange Postacoglu. But why was Postacoglu so quick to get him out? I think that is saying a lot. If Postacoglu talks about character being above anything, it's the number one quality he looks for. Great character and a mentality. And it's very cutthroat with Ange. Um, but if you put yourself in his position, you sign for the football club, you think you've got this big uh, move to Tottenham Hotspur, you know, this stadium, training facilities, you know, you're going to play under Antonio Conte. And then Conte comes out with, he's a club signing. And then he says it again. I think he said it two or three times in press conferences. If you put yourself in that player's position, 
you're a club signing. How would you feel? I I sympathise with Jed Spence significantly, and I was one one fan that was absolutely desperate to sign him. I you know I followed Nottingham Forest quite regularly, and always have done since I went to uni in Nottingham. You know, it's the same way that I wanted Brennan Johnson and love Brennan Johnson. I, I, Jed Spence is a a magnificent player when he was at Forest, but and I completely sympathise with him. But sometimes it's not meant to be. Let's not forget that he was brought in for a manager that publicly said he didn't want him. And it comes into a club in absolute turmoil on and off the pitch. It's it's just crazy what's going on. And then to make matters worse, his application perhaps hasn't been the best and he's had injury issues. And then when he was sent out on loan, he didn't, he didn't impress. And then, He's gone to Leeds. He's been injured again. I believe he's been he's been praised by Daniel Farker for his commitment in training, which is a positive sign. But he will now face a battle to get into that Leeds side. Yeah. If he can, if Jed Spence, and this is the thing, and I don't want to say categorically as 100%, it's not as black and white as that. But if he can battle back into that Leeds team, get the, help and play a crucial role in getting them back into the Premier League, First of all, Leeds will be wanting to sign him permanently. And then you've got a, a situation and you've got a question to to, to, to kind of ask there. Um, but then, you know, ultimately it's down to him now. I feel for him, but it's down to him. Only him and him alone can change this. And I've just seen that Arsenal have scored fourth goal in the 96th minute six minutes of injury time past yeah. the sixth minute which is just not what i want to hear right now but yeah back to jed spence it's on him now i feel for him but he's the one that is going to change the boss's mind do your talking on the pitch yeah that's it really Josh, one of the main reasons you're here, and uh, I can't believe I'm asking this question at an hour and 43 gone of this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> now, the transfer window, of course, is coming up in 26 days' time. Um, what do we need to do as an absolute minimum to back Ange Postacoglu? What do you think Ange wants in this transfer window as an absolute minimum to take this football club forward? It's a really simple answer. What Ange wants. Whatever he wants, that is that is it. It's it's as simple as that. I don't need to go on a long explanation about this. Ange is doing a superb job. If there's a player Ange wants because it's going to benefit his team and his style, give it to him. By hook or by crook, whether it's a loan, permanent, whatever it is, get it over the line. If Ange wants X player, Ange should get X player. And of course, if he turns you down for another club. There's not much you can do about it. You need to then get the next best player that Ange wants. Van der Ven, from what I understand, was the player specifically that Ange requested. That was him. And he's been a revelation for us. I think Ange, you know, has done enough so far that that deserves deserves to, to be backed. But how many times have we been in a January transfer window and we say back the manager? Well, 
there's been a lot of change, um, you know, off the pitch as well. Of course, uh, technical director um, Johan Lang has come in from Aston Villa. What have you made of that appointment? Because Ange, you know, a couple of weeks ago turned around and said, you know, we've got to get business done early. Are you confident that Spurs will, uh, you know, having planned for this January transfer window, weeks ahead, months ahead, you know, for this window and, uh, you know, to get the business done early? Are you confident of that? Has there been change, Josh? Do you think? Do you yeah. think? Do you think From, fundamentally, of course, there's been change. I'm saying with fingers crossed, yes. And I believe that if we are going to ever do early business, it's going to be this window, and it's going to be under this manager. If we don't now, I feel like we never will. So we have to. Um, yeah, absolutely. They've been planning. Langer's really impressive, by the way. He's the guy that. You know, it was Ollie Watkins and John McGinn, from what I understand, that he brought into Aston Villa. And actually, it's the core of players that are almost exciting the most and performing the best for Unai Emery are actually the ones that he brought in. Yeah, a lot of them for for Dean Smith. So um, that's exciting, and it shows that he's willing to take a punt on a player from a lower league or from, you know. Uh, slightly less glamorous places shall we say he's not going to spend we're not going to spend 60 million on a midfielder in France that's had one good season um you know what I've seen from us in the summer were sensible signings yeah Paratici is 100% still there in the shadows I I don't doubt for one second that in his sort of advisor role within the confines of his FIFA ban he is doing everything he possibly can that is legal uh, to help things. Um, Langer comes in. Obviously, it's a shame to see Gabonini go. Um, but, you know, I think that ultimately we're all on the same page, aren't we? Fans, it seems that fans, players, manager, the whole thing seems to be all on the same page. I don't see why that can't continue in terms of appointments off the pitch and uh, and in the window. You know, I think it's clear the direction we're going in. Um, and, and I think that Postacoglu doesn't strike me as the type of manager that has the same level of ego as a um, as a Conte that will throw his toys out the pram. He kind of just gets on with it. And I think you, as a chairman or as a, a you know backroom staff, you probably want to support a manager a lot more that has that attitude. And that understands that it's not as simple as just you can splash out 200 million every now and then, whenever you fancy. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm impressed with what's going on. Time will tell. You said earlier on the stream that you believe that Spurs haven't got that much money to spend in this window. What are we talking? Um, well, reports that have come from several you know, reputable Spurs journalists, the likes of Ali Gold and Dan Kilpatrick and... Um, you know, those at the Athletic as well, you know, and 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 even what we're hearing at the Mail is that Tottenham are going to have to be clever because a lot of the money that we'd spent in the summer was Harry Kane money that we'd known was going to happen. And it emerged at the end of the window that, you know, Ange even said it himself. He knew from the start that Harry Kane was going. But but the um, thing is, Josh, it, the the amount of people who come on this channel and the amount of people I talk to in the likes of the pub, the stadium, and so on, they say, "But well, we haven't spent the Harry Kane money yet." Yeah, and and I think we've actually been fooled as a fan base. 
<laughs> and I don't want to turn this into a massive Daniel Levy rant because you know how I feel about it. But I think we've been played. Um, we were led to believe that this was our transfer budget and the Harry Kane money was separate to that and that we would have all this money that we can spend. And it's it proven. Um, yeah, it is proven that there's still some issues at the club. Look, I'm, uh, they never say never in football, of course, as the cliche goes. Um, we could surprise us, but P Porro was alone with an obligation. Kulusevski, Bentoncourt, look at the way we did, uh, particularly the Kulusevski deal, the Romero deal. This is the, the kind of future of football. I think we're seeing a lot more deals like this anyway. And Tottenham yeah. seem to be doing this sort of almost kick it down, kick the can down the road kind of approach where they're, they're being a little bit more sensible about this. They're not, I think ever since wasting that money on Ndombele and it, my God, it was a waste. Um, they're just, they're, they're a lot more reluctant to just splash big money on a player unless they're hundred percent confident. And I think that that's uh, two years down, down the line, um, you know, two years down the line, you can start spending that money if, you know, that's what you need to start competing at the very top. And Ange has proven that the players he wants work. Um, and, and the thing is, when I say there's no there's no money or we don't have much money, it's not to say that there isn't money that we can spend. Of course we can spend money and that we could spend a lot of money. But I don't see at all Daniel Levy committing big money in this window. I think what's more likely is we could do some clever deals and then next summer, hopefully yeah. we, we spend a lot more money in the right areas. Josh, you just mentioned money. You you mentioned Tongi on Dombele. I think that all of us, you know, if we were to be sensible about it and realistic about it, we've seen money uh, wasted in previous windows. You mentioned Tongi on Dombele there. Record signing, not even playing for the football club anymore. Probably will never, ever put on a Spurs shirt again. Uh, what his future holds, none of us know, uh, with, with the attitude and, and, and what's happened with him in the last couple of years. So, it's not necessarily sometimes all about spending big money, is it? It's about the recruitment process. It is about identifying those correct players. Now, if I was to put you on the spot and say, in this transfer window, what will Ange really be focusing on? Because, you know, many reports in the last couple of days are stating that it's centre-backs, particularly left-sided centre-backs. Now, if I was to push you on, say, two or three players that Spurs or Ange... Uh, himself wants, what positions would they be? I think he wants a left-sided centre-back. I think he wants a right-winger, an out-and-out right-winger. And I think he probably wants a striker as well. That would be what I would assume he wants. Um, because... It, it, for me, what I'm seeing is a situation where you buy a right winger, Kulusevski then becomes like a 10, Geo can drop into the eight. Because we've got a lot of players already, I think, that can play multiple positions. And I think Jota seems to be one he likes. Bakayoko, that we've been linked with several, you know, younger players. Centre-back, obviously, I think, I don't think that even needs to be really discussed. I think it's obvious we need a centre-back. 
uh, given that we played with four fullbacks um, yeah. for the last few games, maybe even two centre backs uh, instead of a striker. Um, but I think any manager or anyone that has seen how we've done this season has seen that our weak point this season has actually been probably more than anything what we do in the final third. And it's weird because we've done well this season and we've scored goals this season, but actually how many games could we have killed off so much earlier or scored yeah. so many more goals with the chances we created if we could take them or have, you know, so, so yeah, that, that, that's what I think he would want. Josh, apart from Jota, who you mentioned, um, is there any other players that you could actually name who you think the Spurs are currently interested in and uh, could possibly sign in January? Um, so we've got Bakayoko at PSV. He's been incredible. Young player, one one guy that several clubs in Europe want. Um, he's one that Spurs are monitoring. It might be one that they make the move in the summer. Um, I think, again, other clubs will go in for him and we may miss that boat. Samuel... Um, Ilian Jr. at Juventus, I think he's asking prices around uh, just under 20 million euros. That's one that I believe, from what I've heard, um, there are sniffs of, of, of talks, preliminary talks. That I can see happening because Tottenham seem to have a bit of a relationship still with Juventus. I mean, we've seen what's happened in the January window with Juventus and Spurs doing business with them before. Um you know, Romero was through them because it was part ownership. We had, um, you know, they had to resolve that with Atalanta. We've had, you know, Kulusevski, Bentoncourt, you know, Serie has been a fruitful market for Spurs recently. I can see us returning mm. to Serie a. Uh, And I think at a price like that, um, a player that's, you know, I think he, if I remember correctly, started off at um, Chelsea, Ilian Jr., yeah. So um, he's a guy that obviously knows the country, knows London. It ticks a lot of boxes in terms of there's a player that you're going to bring in who kind of understands a little bit. And he obviously he ticks the homegrown box as well, I think. I, I'd imagine he, he ticks the homegrown quota. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of a lot of things that it kind of makes sense about that. Plus, it's. You know, it's a player that's uh, 19, 20 years old. So there's, again, lots of scope. If if there was an option, right, and this is the thing, if if, if it was a hill goes, goes, but you can bring an Ilian Jr. or whatever it is in, I don't see mm -hmm. that as a loss for us. Um, so, yeah, other than that, I believe that, from what I understand, Spurs have dropped interest in Gift Orban, the striker that was heavily linked with us from Ghent uh, in the summer. Uh, we kind of never, we never made a bid. There were inquiries from what I was told, but the asking price was set high. He's only scored three or four goals this season after what was a crazy prolific season. So it shows just how it's easy to get very excited by a young player and it doesn't quite work out the next year. Um, Spurs do like Ivan Tony. I don't think that's a secret. I think, it's obvious Spurs like Ivan Tony, uh, as as a lot of clubs do. Again, I can't see Ivan Tony going to Spurs this window. I think that the asking price is too high. Brentford are, are going to ask for as much money as they want, aren't they? Because 
they know how valuable he is. Um, in terms of defenders, um, I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you. I, I think targets may well have changed. It'd be interesting to see if Tottenham rehash interest in Tosin Adaraboyo, who hasn't really featured much at all. Um, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not too sure in terms of defenders. I think we clearly need one, um, but it'll be interesting to see kind of where we go from that. I just, I, I'd like to see us buy a ready-made defender. Well, uh, that, that, that that's exactly the question I was going to ask, Josh. It, it, what is this transfer window about for Ange? Is it about bringing in players for the future? Is it about ready-made players? Because when you look back in that January transfer window, Kulusevski and Bentancur coming in. You know, them two, uh, you know, really helped us get Champions League football. They were in- incredible, in- intense in-, in that in that Tottenham Hotspur team under Conte. Um, that's the sort of signings for me that I think that that we need at the football club. Is it likely to happen in that way? Because when you think when all of these injured players come back, our starting eleven is very, very strong. But the bench, and we've said this for years as Spurs fans, the bench is pretty weak and it needs you know, a lot of strengthening. Is it about bringing on players? Is it about game changers in that respect? You know, certainly now the games are so much longer. Yeah, look, I, I think it's one of those that I, I would expect to see a balance. Uh, I think you're right. That's what I want out of a window. But and just surprised a lot of us, I think, in terms of the way he talks uh, post-match. And he talks about no expectation. This is about getting us to play the right brand of football. Yeah. And that very much points to maybe a longer term approach. And this is going to be hopefully a, uh, you know, a long term project. Um, but we're also in a great position right now. So why shouldn't we capitalise on that? If we can bring a young, exciting winger in a set, solid centre back. Bear in mind, there's always a risk of Romero getting suspended uh, or, or, you know, Van der Ven is obviously injured now. Romero could get injured as well. And, you know, someone that comes in, maybe if it's just a loan, but an experienced striker, I wouldn't be opposed to us making a Fernando Llorente type signing. As weird as that sounds, a striker that isn't going to be there long term, but has a lot of experience and can come in and have an instant impact. You know, um, who are you and- thinking? It's, it's actually quite difficult. You, you kind of put me on the spot here. Because um, I'm thinking, like, what, what Real Madrid have done bringing Hosselu to the club? No one really expected, given how he was in the Premier League. No one would have expected that. Um, but, you know, I'll have to come back to you on that because you, you put me on the spot there. But I've just, you know, I think actually a Fernando Llorente tight signing, not, you know a player that perhaps is slightly older that has that experience that can just come in and do a job. Um, there's one player that actually has really stood out for me that I really want us to sign, but I don't think we've got a chance in hell of signing in January, but that's Wang. He Chan at Wolves. He just seems to be on fire at the minute. It's obviously the South Korean connection. Um, great in the forward positions. That type of signing I think would be really useful for the club and perhaps more useful than just signing a young winger here or there or whatever. Um, I'd like to see us buy players or bring players in for the Premier League perhaps as well. Um, 
players that are you know used to the league you know and i think that we'll be all right i think we'll be okay i just think as i say it's going to be a balance i couldn't tell you half the players i'm sure there are players that none of us have even mentioned in the media or spoken about um that that we're talking about and scouting and watching um but yeah i'd like to see exactly if we can mirror the window that we had with Bentoncourt and Kulisevsky, but have a centre-back in there, I'd be delighted. It's funny, Josh, because when I talk to journalists such as uh, Fabrizio Romano, he states that Spurs are scouting and watching so many players at one time. It's, it's just impossible to know, um, you know, all of those names. But it's going to be interesting. But let me just ask you about um, Mark Gay, of course, of Crystal Palace, because we've been linked with him a lot in previous transfer windows as well. Um, what's the chances of Spurs going to spend £50, £60 million pounds on a player like that with Premier League experience? Very unlikely in the January transfer window, I might add, but in the summer, you know, what's the chances of Spurs going out and paying big money? Because you mentioned there, you know, Spurs are a, a bit reluctant to go and spend big money when, when we've spent it on the likes of Tongi on Dombele and it's not worked out. So when, when do you think the time's going to be when Spurs really do act, do go out and splash that cash? I, I would expect us to splash cash on a couple of players in the summer. And then we might try and go for more sensible options. I think maybe one or two players we may really spend some money on this summer. Mark Gray's a, a, a fantastic defender. And for me, is a nailed-on starter at the Euros at this rate. He's a nailed-on starter for England, the way he plays for England at the minute and the way he's been. I don't see him coming to Tottenham unless Romero leaves the club. That's the only thing that I can see happening to make that work because unless Spurs have this drastic change in mentality where we're going for Premier League's Champions Leagues and essentially we're spending oil money or or state money um where you've got the likes of City with Ake and Gvardiol and Ake's on the bench and he's 47.5 million and you've got Gvardiol 75 million and you've got Ruben Dias 50 million no, we're way off from that right now. Gay is so good. He's too good to, to not start and be first choice. Is Ange going to change to a back three to accommodate him with Van der Ven and Romero? I, I don't see it. I think natural progression. I think inevitably Romero will probably look to go to a Barcelona or Real Madrid. I think that's the natural move for a player of his quality and his you know heritage if you will given all of the historic players you know South American players tend to grow up dreaming of Barcelona and Real Madrid and not the Premier League um so yeah I I think that I can see it but I do think that there is probably under Daniel Levy at least there is that kind of buy and sell mentality whereas We'll spend big, but we'll sell big to spend big kind of way of running the club until we get to a point where that whole squad has been refreshed and we've got a good squad. Suddenly we're challenging for things and then it's about buying one or two big money players to keep refreshing. That's that's how it's got to be. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's It's difficult. I'd love him, though. I would absolutely love him. 
Well, the Spurs under-18s played this evening, uh, beating Brentford 5-1 away in the FA Youth Cup. So many congratulations to them. Two results in the Premier League this evening. Wolves 1, Burnley 0 and Luton 3, Arsenal 4, who, of course, now extend their league uh, lead at the top of the Premier League table. Um, Josh, last question for you, and this is what uh, brings me on to that. Um, position in the league... Um, are you still state, stating that you think we'll finish fifth? Um, and I want you to predict the top four and who will get relegated at the end of the season. I want to say actually fourth. I want to say fourth now. Say it then. <laughs> I, I don't want to be difficult. I, I, I want to, I want, I'm, I'm going to conservatively stay with fifth and get Champions League football but with a sort of wink that I think we can finish top four. Um, having just said that, I'm going to massively contradict myself and give the top four as Tottenham fourth, um, Manchester City third, which is controversial. Wow. Liverpool second. And I hate to say it. Results like tonight... It, it, it it's gonna happen. I I I fear, and no. please don't hate me for saying that. But I just have this horrible, horrible feeling that the fact that they're getting lucky and they're getting away with this stuff, everything from these last minute winners to Arteta being allowed to live basically on the pitch, it just seems written in the stars. And I hope, and I hope I'm jinxing it. Yeah. I hope I'm jinxing it. I'm going to carry on saying I think they will because I really want to jinx it. Um, we Red saw last season, Josh. They they fell apart and uh, Manchester City won it. And that's exactly what's going to happen this season. Everybody said that Tottenham can't finish in Europe this season. Everyone said Tottenham can't get Champions League this season. And I think we might. So I yeah. think that this is the thing. We don't know. I really hope they don't win it. And I'm sure in a month's time, my perspective, if you ask me again, would completely change. Yeah. Um, relegation, I think I'm pretty set on that. I, I think Luton will unfortunately go as much as it's been quite fun actually having them in the league this year. They're kind of shades of Blackpool and not just because of their shirt colour. Um, I think Burnley will go. Yeah. And... I was going to say Sheffield United, but that has actually changed since Chris Wilder has been reappointed. I think if there's any anyone to do it, it's going to be him. I'm going to say Everton. I'm going do you think they'll get their points back? They're a good side. They're not a bad side at all. But No, what I meant, Josh, is... With their appeal, do you think that they will get their points back from the Premier League? If if they get the points back, they'll survive. If they don't, I don't think they will. Mm. I think it's as simple as that. Uh, and will they get their points back? I don't think so. I don't think they will. Um, yeah, it's not a bad shout. I, I think Arsenal are bit better than that unfortunately and I think Liverpool have shown again they're one of those teams that they seem to be pulling results out of of nowhere um yeah I, I, I really hope they get their points back but 
equally selfishly, if Everton keep their points deduction, that could spell big, big trouble for Manchester City and Chelsea if they are found guilty of their respective charges. And it sets a precedent. And that's yeah. the thing is I don't like the fact that teams for so long who have been manipulating and bending the rules have got away with just a measly fine, which owners who have endless pots of cash can pay like nothing. We've got to set the line more firm. We have to control finances in football for me eventually. Um, I want to see Everton get their points back, but equally, I think that, you know, I think the precedent is needed. I just want the right decision to happen. If Everton, you know, don't deserve the points because, and they can prove they don't deserve their points to be deducted, then they shouldn't. You know, it's as simple as that. I just want to see it fairly treated. I don't want teams to get away with murder, but I also don't want to see teams, you know, great club like Everton punished for something that, you know, was taken out of their hands. Josh, I can't believe we've been talking for nearly two hours, 10 minutes, and I feel like there's so much more that we could cover. But honestly, I, I think when me and you get together, we could talk about football all evening, all, all day and night. It's been an absolute pleasure having you back. Um, you've got to come back again very soon, hopefully during the January transfer window. Um, what's next for you and where, where can people find you? At Josh UCV on Twitter. I'm going to try and be a little bit more active. I've been a bit quiet recently. Um, probably because I'm not so angry at what's going on, but also just been mad busy with work. Um, yeah, keep up to date with everything on male sport. We've got a new look Twitter. Facebook is looking very different. Instagram is booming, as is TikTok. Uh, the social platforms are starting to look very different for us. Um, so do check it out. Do give us a follow. And uh, if you like what you, you, you're seeing, then, you know, Keep up to date with us. And as I say, we're going to have the latest breaking news, all the biggest lines, and we'll be right across everything over the January transfer window. And hopefully I can come on um, plenty more times this season. And and it's it's as positive as today has been because I feel like some of the times I've been on these with you, it's it's not been so positive. So, uh, yeah, long, long may it continue. It's definitely nice to see a smile on your face, Josh, put it that way. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so much for having me on as well well thank you so much you, you're always such a fantastic guest on here and uh, thanks for watching everyone thanks for listening until next time come on you spurs days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.